Welcome to the Tech Diva Success Podcast. This is a short weekly podcast that focuses on tools, processes, and best practices that truly fuel success for women in technology. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you walk away with at least one best practice that will help you level up personally or professionally. What can you take action on that will make you 1% better? This show gives us space to grow that amazing potential you have inside of you by bringing you guests from all walks of life and allowing them to share their success secrets with you. I'm your host, Nicole Scheffler, and I consider myself a tech diva with over 15 years experience in a technology career. And I'm committed to sparking tech diva success with my collection of various books, podcasts, and projects, including our other podcast, the Diva Tech Talk podcast, which is all here to inspire you and is dedicated to women in technology. I know you're going to love it. So on with the show. In this next episode, you are going to witness a breakthrough moment in my life. A few years ago, someone suggested that I read The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And I knew immediately that it was my calling to take these success principles to women in technology to help spark their success. Here I am, less than a year and a half later, I have my success coach certification. I've been published in a book with Jack Canfield. And today on this episode, you are going to hear a live conversation with Jack Canfield where I ask him directly about how these success principles can help women in technology get from where they are to where they want to be. If you like this kind of content, I've taken it and created a goal-setting course. The goal-setting course includes a 12-page guide, three great modules that take you from removing your limiting beliefs, setting goals in seven areas of your life, and creating a bonfire goal to take your success to the next level on your terms. I can't wait to share it with you, your employee resource organization, or people on your team. So let's share it. Let's get everyone leveled up and let's continue to spark success for women in technology. I am so grateful to all of you for your support and especially to Jack Canfield for taking the time and care in this episode. Well, welcome Tech Divas to the Tech Diva Success Podcast. I am on fire for this breakthrough episode today with my mentor and teacher, Jack Canfield. You may know Jack from the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which really helped launch his success. He took that and created a body of success principles that truly help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Those are frequently used in my programs to help motivate tech divas and women in tech. I use these myself in my own career, so I know that they work. Jack is known as America's number one success coach for his incredible body of work, books, courses, lectures, and amazing things that he's done. Some of my favorite are Jack's documentary, a little bit more about himself, Soul of Success. It's really great to get to know you better, Jack. And then of course, who doesn't love the secret? I am grateful and honored that in 2020, I got to be in a book with Jack. So we share this book, Pillars of Success, which just again, allows us to keep sharing the messages that you're gonna hear today. And I am also a certified success coach through Jack's programs. I know that these are absolutely life 
changing. And so thank you, Jack, for coming on the show to talk to our tech divas today so we can hear directly from you about the amazing principles. This is just a dream come true. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. It's truly my pleasure, Nicole. Thanks for inviting me. Well, as many of you know, I am on a mission to spark tech diva success by leading and serving. But we both know that success starts with one foundational principle about taking 100% responsibility. So I really think that would be a perfect place for us to start. What do you think? It's great because I always start every book, every seminar I do with that principle. It is foundational, just like if you were building a tall building. I've been in New York a couple of times. You see these big skyscrapers going up, but they'll build like nine stories down into the ground as the foundation. And if you don't take 100% responsibility for your life, you end up in what we call victim consciousness. You actually believe that other people and things outside of you are controlling your life. And as long as you believe that, you won't take responsibility. And I say 100% responsibility for everything that happens to you. And you know, a lot of people say, wow, that's a 100%. And I say, well, would you want to be married to someone who is 99% committed to monogamy? I don't think so. You know, every day you'd have to wonder is today the day they're going to cheat on me. And so you don't want to be cheating on yourself. And so you want to make sure that you take 100% responsibility. Now, are we actually 100% responsible for everything we've ever experienced? I don't know for sure. Like if a plane crashes into your house, did you create, promote, or allow that? I don't know. Maybe in some great spiritual level in a past life, you did something that now needs to be balanced out. I don't know. But what I do know is this. If you act as if you are 100% responsible and every time something happens that you don't want and you say, okay, how did I create that or how did I indirectly promote that or allow that to happen? Nine times out of 10, you'll find something you did or didn't do that created the result you're now experiencing. And so living your life that way, all the students, including yourself, Nicole, who've taken that on as a philosophy of life, as an operating principle, if you will, their lives work better. They make more money. They're happier. Their relationships work better. They're healthier and so on and so forth. So uh, I teach this little formula, as you know, called E plus R equals O. And it stands for events plus response equals outcome. And everything in life that we experience is an outcome of how we responded to an earlier event. If you're overweight, it's you responded to food you shouldn't have eaten, like sugar and fats and too much of something, and you ate it. Someone else said, no, I'm not eating sugar, or I'm not eating desserts, or I'm you know, on a keto diet or whatever. And they didn't do it, and they got a different outcome. Someone gives you a $10,000 bonus at the end of the year, yay, let's go to Vegas. And a year later, your net worth has not changed. Or you take that $10,000 and you invest it. It's a different response to that event. And now your net worth is up by, you know, 2%, 5%, whatever it might be. So the reality is that if you look to say, and say, if I don't like the outcome I'm getting, I'm not happy. I have headaches all the time. I'm not happy at work. I'm not sleeping well. Uh, my relationship doesn't feel fulfilling. I'm with an abusive person. I am not making the money I want. You know, I'm overweight. I don't feel flexible, strong. I don't have endurance. You know, what you look at any area of your life, say, okay, if you want that to be different, you're going to have to do something different. Because as you know, if you're in tech, two plus two is always going to equal four. And so if you don't want four as the outcome, you have to change the R. You know, you and I, Nicole, we talk about this idea of a spreadsheet analogy where you have one column is all the things that happen in your life. These are all the events. 
And then you have another column that says my responses. You have a third column that says outcomes. This is your life experience. And all of those outcomes to all the different responses you've had to the events in your life, whether it was relational events, physical events, you know, food you ate, alcohol you drank, sleep you got or didn't get, how much TV you watched or didn't watch, et cetera, you now have this whole column added up and that's called your life experience. And if you're not ecstatically happy most of the time, then you've got to start changing your responses. And what my life's been about and what my work's about and when Nicole teaches about when she teaches this work is that we have studied the responses, if you will, the behaviors, the thinking patterns, the, the visualization patterns, the dreaming patterns of people that are super successful. Like in the last three years, I wrote the forward to two books. One was called uh, The Billion Dollar Secret and the other was called Homeless to Billionaire, a guy who 19 was homeless. And by the time of 35, he was worth $3 billion. And what we discovered in all of that, plus I've interviewed over, I think now, about 750 of the most successful people on the planet, is that there is a pattern of how they think, what they do, what their daily disciplines are that you can learn. And when you apply those to your life, they always work. I mentioned W. Clement Stone taught me the success system that never fails. In other words, if you work the principles, the principles always work. And so the idea is we've got to learn how to have the responses to produce the outcomes. And one of the problems is most people don't change their responses. They blame the event. They blame the environment. You know, it's the government's fault. It's technology's fault. It's my boss's fault. My parents haven't been alcoholics. If my husband was more understanding, et cetera. So basically, 100% responsibility. No more blaming, complaining. E plus R equals O. You start applying, if you just took E plus R equals O and just started asking yourself that question, how did I help create, promote, or allow what I'm currently experiencing? Or what I have to change to get something different? Your life would transform. Absolutely. It's about those thoughts, actions, and beliefs that allow us to take that 100% responsibility of controlling our response. Jack, you know, I'm all about those fire analogies. So I was watching that show Naked and Afraid. And the key thing for them oftentimes in cold places is when the temperature drops at night, they have to light a fire. And so for me, I see a lot of the work that you're doing, as well as myself as a spark that can help light fires for people, right? And as well, women in technology can fan each other's flames to keep them burning brighter. But one thing that's for sure that at night, there's one person who kind of watches the fire and makes sure it doesn't go out. And that person is 100% responsible for making sure that the fire stays lit. So I think that that's a great analogy of the 100% responsibility to this idea of a firekeeper. To your point earlier, the firekeeper could blame many things or complain about having to watch the fire or, you know, uh, come up with excuses on why it went out. Double clicking into the blame, complaining, and really dropping out of the ain't it awful club has been really powerful for me as a leader, leading teams, kind of leaning on this and cutting it off. But I think that's really helpful for tech divas. Can you share just a little more on that? Sure. So one of the responses, if we go back to E plus R equals O, one of the responses a lot of people have when they don't get the outcome they want is they blame the event. So think about it. We blame the president, whether it was Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We blame the Congress. You know, it's a do-nothing Congress. You can't get anything done anymore because people are, you know, gridlocked. We blame our boss. We blame people on Wall Street for, you know, the the whatever they call it, the financial meltdowns we have, you know. We blame the Chinese for the quote unquote Wuhan virus that would, you know, Trump used to call it, et cetera. The point is, blaming is a response, but it doesn't produce a better outcome. 
it basically takes you off the hook, but it doesn't get you what you want. You know, and complaining is the same thing. Complaining is like blaming in a group. You know, I complain to you about the job. I complain to you about my neighbors. I complain to you. Think about this. Most people complain to someone who can never do anything about it. You come to work, you complain about your husband, you go home to your husband, you complain about your people at work, neither of whom can change any of that. So giving up blaming and saying, okay, if I want something different, I have to be responsible to make it happen. And complaining is valuable only because you can start to see there's something you would rather have. There was a fine complaining about my boss. It means I'd rather have a boss that was more understanding, perhaps more supportive, perhaps would let me work at home more or let me you know, have better resources uh, that wouldn't pile stuff on me on Friday morning and expect it done you know, before the weekend's over, not my weekend screw. If I'm complaining about my wife, it means I have a, a reference point of someone better. If I'm complaining about my boss, I believe there's a boss out there that I would rather work for. But I would rather complain about it than go do something about it. Because doing something about it would mean I'd have to be uncomfortable. I'd have to take a risk. See, if I'm complaining about my wife, it first means I have a reference point of a better wife. Now, whether it's someone I know, a fantasy in my head, an old girlfriend, or somebody on television who's the perfect wife, you know, whatever, I would have to basically leave my wife and go get a better relationship. But that's risky. What if I go out there and nobody wants me? Or if I take my wife and say, look, I want to improve our relationship, she might get mad at me and tell me all the things that are wrong with me. So whenever we go to change something, there is a risk. There's a risk of failure. There's a risk of being uncomfortable. There's a risk of, you know, looking foolish, et cetera. But it's only by doing something new and risking that that we get a better result. And the final thing people do, as you said, we make excuses. It's the printer's fault. It's the technology went down. The electricity went out. The guy at the shop didn't get it done on time. You know, my staff got sick. And the reality is, again, we're blaming something outside of ourselves. In my company, if you were to blame somebody for something or complain about something, there's a $2 fine on the spot, payable right now, put it in the fishbowl. Now we give that to charity at the end of the month. When people first come on staff, a lot of $2 bills, well, $1 bills, two of them. But what happens is after a month or two, they stop. And it's not to punish them, but to make them aware that when they're complaining, there is a cost to themselves, to the team, to the results, to what it is we're trying to create. So you want to get out of that mindset, drop out of what you call it, the ain't it awful club. And the idea is a lot of us have that club. It used to be the bar we went to, you know, the policemen have their bar, the firemen have their bar, the lawyers have their bar, the doctors have their bar, and they go and they bitch and moan and complain, but it doesn't change anything. And so the same thing now happens online. You know, we go on Zoom calls and we bitch and moan about everything. But what you want to do is either in your own life or for your children, for people you work with, when they're complaining or blaming, saying, well, what would you prefer and what are you willing to do to create that? Let's come up with a plan so we can get what you want rather than living in this space of complaining and not getting anything better. Yeah, and absolutely. If you're spending time doing that, you're not spending time taking action, being positive, planting seeds. I know you're completely opposite of that. And you had the pleasure of being in the movie, The Secret, which was a lot about the law of attraction, where your mind goes is kind of what you can manifest for yourself. And I think it's so powerful to really take this in and to live by it personally. But I'd love for you to share that with our tech divas so that they can uh, weave that in as well. Well, the law of attraction basically says that what you think about, what you talk about, what you fantasize about, what you believe strongly, what you feel strongly about, you're going to bring about. 
And so if you complain a lot, you're going to bring about more to complain about. If you are in a state of gratitude for everything you have, you're going to get more things to be grateful for. You know, what you appreciate appreciates is what a quote of one of my friends. And so the idea is that everything in the universe is vibrating. Right now, you know, you're vibrating at a certain emotional level. If you're happy, we say, oh, I'm high. You know, if you're depressed, we say I'm down. Uh, it's a low vibration. So love, joy, excitement, enthusiasm, positive expectation, those are all high vibrations. We like to be around high vibration people you know, comedians, people that are loving, people that are in joy, people are having fun, you know, we tend to be drawn toward the laughter, etc. Now, what happens if you're depressed, though, that can be distracting. It's, uh, you want to be around other depressed people often, you know, so people will get together and drink and complain about things, and it reinforces their beliefs that they're not responsible, but they still doesn't get them what they want. So, we want to do everything we can to raise our vibration. So, what, what does that? Meditation does that. And a lot of people think meditation is woo-woo. You can go online, go to YouTube. There are about 8 million people teaching different forms of meditation. Find one that you like. You know, some people do it with music in the background. Some people do it, they like guided visualizations because their mind doesn't wander as much. Some people like to just focus on their breaths, focus on a mantra, a repetition of a phrase. There's a lot of different techniques, but literally you get relaxed and you go into a state of joy. Also doing things you love. You know, I always recommend make a list of 20 things you love to do and every day make sure you do one of those things, you know, because a lot of people go through a whole week not doing what they love to do. So if you love to pet the cat, if you love to do crossword puzzles, if you love to listen to a certain musician, if you love to window shop, you know, whatever it is, find some way to make sure that every day for at least 20 minutes to a half hour, you do something you really love to do and not just like zoning out and distraction, but something that really brings you joy. Movement, dancing, writing. My wife likes to paint. My daughter plays her guitar, you know, things like that. And what happens is we know that as your happiness level goes up, you attract more people to you because they want to be around your vibration. You attract more opportunities to you. So the other piece is when you visualize what you want. So now we're focusing on what we want, not what we don't want. When you watch the news, you're seeing all the things we don't want. Murder, fires, you know, kidnapping, wars, prices are going up, you know, more people are getting sick with COVID, whatever it might be. So you want to take your energy and focus it on images of what you want. And what you when you do that, then what would be the feeling if you already had it? If you had your dream job, had your dream uh, income, if you had the house you want, the relationship you want. And then what happens is, because of the way the subconscious mind works, it will start coming up with solutions for the problem. And also because of the law of attraction, this energy that you're thinking goes out into the world of thought forms. We know from research that was done with NASA and people down at Duke University in the psychology labs, they would have people up on, in the lunar module and they had like 10 envelopes and they were numbered one through 10. They would randomly shake them up, pick one, say number five, open it up, there'd be a shape in there, triangle, circle, uh, pentagon, a pentagram, whatever. And then they would focus on that for about five minutes. Students at the university would close their eyes and see if they could tune into what the astronauts were seeing. And they got it right, way beyond statistical chance. So we know scientific evidence 
that our thoughts travel a minimum of uh, 200, I think 238,000 miles to the moon, something like that. So a quarter of a million miles, we know that. So every thought you're thinking is going out like a radio wave into the universe. And it's actually other people that want similar things are then attracted to your vibration. And then you end up sitting next to them on a bus or an airplane. You end up standing next to them at Starbucks, uh, all those kind of things. And you also start to get what we call inspired thoughts inspirations of things to do that will actually help you achieve your goal. So again, keep the vibration high, focus on what you want, not what you don't want. And um, if you do that, then the law of attraction starts to come into action. And then you'll say all these things, well, they came out of the blue, it was just synchronistic, but it's all being created by your thought. Energy follows thought. Hey, I have to agree with that. This is an inspired action in play, sitting here right now with you, 100%. And I want to just take that one step further because I want to make the law of attraction and this idea that um, you can believe in yourself, believe what's possible and apply it to women in technology careers. Do you think you could kind of tie that back to how we can build their success both professionally and personally? Sure. sure. Well, if you look at the book or the movie, The Secret, which is probably the most popularized, you know, presentation of this law of attraction. Rhonda Byrne did that. I, I was quoted in the book and, and I was in the movie, if you will. And there are a lot of us, I think there's 22 talking heads in that movie. But the point being that there is kind of a system she talks about is ask, believe, receive. Ask for what you want. And that's by just declaring it, writing it down. We know that people who write their goals down uh, earn nine times more money in their life than people who don't. That's a study done at the uh, at Virginia Tech University by an economics professor. Um, and the idea is we know that simply asking, as I said, write it down, simply have a desire, just know you want it, tell other people, put it on your website, you know, uh, declare the goal, uh, you know, that kind of thing is, is a way of asking. So first you have to decide what is it you want. You know, a lot of people, if you say, well, what are your goals? I don't know. What do you want to accomplish next year? Well, I don't know. Just get my job, come home, watch TV. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not a vision for your life. So if you could live the ideal life, what would that vision be? And, and I teach seven areas of your life, which is job and career, finances, health and fitness, relationships, uh, what we call personal, which is things you want just because you want them, uh, and also personal growth and development. And then also um, fun and recreation, which is like how much fun you want to have, doing what? Remember, it's 20 things you love to do, how many vacation days, et cetera. Maybe you want to take an art class, an improv theater class. Maybe you'd like to have a little garage band, you know, whatever it might be. And then also, finally, contribution. Everybody should be looking for some way to serve, you know, just you know, tithing your time. Like, you know, if you can say, you know, five hours a month, you know, or an hour a week that you could make a difference in the lives of others, what would that look like? So now we have a vision of what those areas would look like if they're working perfectly. And then a second step is believe. You have to believe it's possible. And that's simply called choose. You can choose to believe anything. You know, I always tell people, you chose to believe in Santa Claus probably for about eight years. <laughs> and the reality is, and, they, you know, and we now know that's a fantasy, but we can choose to believe that we're capable. We can choose to believe that we can have what we want. It's simply a choice. And then you act as if that belief is true. And one of the ways we declare to the universe, if you will, if you want to get spiritual to God, if not just, you know, 
cosmic consciousness, the, the, the great unknown, whatever we want to call it, nature, um, spirit. The idea is that what happens is when we declare it and we take action on it, our action demonstrates to the universe that we believe it. In other words, I would not take on a diet if I didn't believe it was going to work. I would not take a class if I didn't think it would work. So belief is a, is a choice. So just choose to act as if, you know, do this experiment for 30 to 60 days. Act as if you can become, you know, a tech leader. You can write a book. You could have your own company. You could develop a new program. You could become the manager of your department. You know, whatever it is, how would you be? How would you show up? How would you act if you believe that? You know, Patty Aubrey, my business partner, runs a course called Permission Granted. It's for women. And the idea is we have to, as women, you have to grow up, show up, stand up, and speak up. And, and if you do that, you're, you're acting as if it's possible to be this powerful person. And so you want to give yourself permission to act as if you're already there. How would you dress? I'm remembering a story about a bank. I used to go to Wells Fargo Bank in Pacific Palisades, California, where I lived. And there were four tellers and uh, two men, two women. And there were two guys, I remember. And one wore a little string tie like the cowboys wear, you know, and his shirts never matched his suit and everything. And the other guy, he had a nice suit. He had a nice tie and shirt. He, he looked like a manager already. And two years later, he was over at a desk doing loans. And the other guy was still a teller. So he started acting as if he was already a manager long before the other guy, and he got there because he was acting as if. So that's very important. And then finally, you have to take action, obviously. You know, what, what are the actions you would take? So act, believe, and receive. Receive means create the vibration of already having it, like we just talked about earlier, and then take the actions that it would take to get to where you want to go. And as you're saying, you know, we've talked about this, you have to believe in yourself. Believe that you have the capacity. I always tell people, you never have a dream without the ability to make it come true. In other words, you're not allowed to have that dream if you don't have the capacity to fulfill it. Now, you may have to learn new things. You may have to go get some degree or credential you don't have. You may have to learn how to develop a team or be a manager or learn some new skills that you don't have, but that's okay. You have the capacity to do that. Self-esteem comes from the belief that you're lovable, capable, and significant. I'm lovable because I'm acceptable. All of me is wonderful, including my feelings, my body, et cetera. Capable means I can handle anything that shows up. That doesn't mean bad things won't show up. They will, but you're competent. You can handle. Think of this. You've handled everything that ever happened to you. You have survived everything that ever happened to you. So we know you're competent. And the last thing is significant, meaning you make a difference in the lives of somebody. And so the more people you serve, that's why philanthropy and volunteering is so important that you then feel you're significant. You see a lot of older people during the pandemic uh, getting sick because they're isolated. They feel like they don't matter to anybody. They can't see their grandchildren. Nobody cares anymore. And that's very difficult for self-esteem. So all these things we're talking about are going to make you more attractive. They're going to keep that fire burning, which we talked about. And one of my great quotes I learned from Napoleon Hill, who wrote Thinking Grow Rich, was, motivation is like a fire. If you don't keep putting logs on, it goes out. And so you are the fire tender of your own inspiration, if you will. And you have to keep that fire lit inside yourself. Uh, often we talk about the fire in the belly of the people that are really motivated. And that's your responsibility, not anyone else. Thank you for that, Jack. That is 
so powerful and absolutely what our tech divas need to hear to really apply that law of attraction and to be reminded that you own your fire and you are enough. And that is just amazing. So thank you for sharing those wonderful tips with us. And I have to second Patty's amazing program, Permission Granted, uh, and many of the great things that you do to talk about this. Thanks for that. You're welcome. So that wraps part one of the Jack Canfield interview. But wait, there's more. So don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player or on our YouTube channel so you can catch the second half of this amazing interview as well as all of our content that we put out to help guide Tech Diva success. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you again for listening. And we really hope this sparks something in you that you can use to manifest more success in your life. Please give us a rating or review. We would love to see how the show has inspired you. You can also connect with Tech Diva Success on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. We're very easy to find under that name. And we hope this episode was fire for you.